Welcome to the virtual vacation events, the new age of luxury panel. My name is Peter Bates. I'm the president of New York-based Strategic Vision, a marketing communications company focused on travel, hospitality, and publishing. Our panel today is called Discover the New Age of Luxury Hotels and Resorts, What Luxury Means After the Pandemic. We're going to have a fascinating conversation today, so let me start by introducing our panel. First of all, Chris Gabon, Senior Vice President of Luxury Brands for Marriott International. Welcome, Chris. Thanks for joining us. Wave to your audience. Good morning. There you are. Good. Anna Nash, Chief Marketing Officer for Amman. Welcome. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Peter. Philip Boyan, the Chief Executive Officer of the Forbes Travel Guide. Hi, Philip. Thank you for joining us. Hi, everyone. And Helen Smith, who's the Chief Customer Experience Officer for the Dorchester Collection. Hello, everyone. Thanks, Helen, for joining us. It's great to see the four of you. I know this is going to be a really fascinating uh, discussion for our audience. But let's start by putting some context into this and understanding all about your different companies. Philip, why don't we start with you? Tell us a little bit about your company. Thank you, Peter. Well, at Forbes Travel Guide, we verify luxury. And what does that mean? That means that we champion, support, and celebrate all those with a passion for extra extraordinary service. We rate nearly 2,000 luxury hotels, restaurants, and spas each year in over 70 countries. 75% of the 900 standards we evaluate are about the emotional aspects of service. It's all about how the hotel makes their guests feel. Let me just give a, a small example. Rather than focusing on the time it takes to serve your morning coffee at your hotel, we focus on how that coffee was served. Was there eye contact, a warm smile, interaction, graciousness, the language the employee used, etc. And this is, of course, the main reason why, as of today, there are only 282 five-star Forbes hotels around the world. A very exclusive club indeed. Our inspectors book, stay and pay like any normal guest, and the hotel does not know that they have been evaluated. Our ratings are absolutely not for sale. In addition to the official FTG ratings, we provide support services such as service excellence and leadership training, standard development and quality assessments. Service excellence is universal, so we have expanded our services into verticals such as private jets, yachts, luxury retail, cruise ships, and high-end residential, just to name a few. Back to you, Peter. Thanks very much, Philip. Tell me, how do uh, consumers find out about the guide? Where, where do they go to look for a hotel? Very simple. You want to find the very best hotels in the world. You go to ForbesTravelGuide.com. Uh, we have fantastic content there. All our hotels are rated uh, five-star, four-star, or recommended. Thank you. That's fantastic. Helen, tell us about your collection. Oh, okay. So um, we have nine hotels and one being built. Um, the ones that you'll be most familiar with um, if you're looking at leisure travel are probably the two in America, which are the Beverly Hills and the Hotel Bel Air. And then if you come overseas, obviously with the name, it's the Dorchester. And then probably the Maurice in Paris and the Plaza Arteneau in, Par in Paris. And then um, in Italy, we have the Hotel Eden in Rome, as well as the Principe in Milan. And the one that's under development is in Dubai due to open next year. 
all kind of legendary hotels, part and parcel of wherever they are. Thank Fantastic. you. Are, are, are they all open now? Everyone's been open, but obviously, and this will come up later in the discussion, depending on the government rules, some are yes. um, more local market and some a little bit more busy. But you've been doing a lot of development too. I, I read about a terrace on the top of the Dorchester's. Yes, yeah, no, that was a bit of fun. I think um, under these circumstances, everyone's going out of their way to do things a little bit differently. So yeah. the team at the hotel took one of the suites with a big terrace and has made it into an area where you can have lunch, dinner, bottle of champagne, look at the sunset, look at the sunrise. Uh, very oh, clever, yeah. very fun idea. Oh, weather great. dependent and London weather dependent. <laughs> yes, that's, absolutely. understand that. Chris, you've got a number of brands in the luxury sector, haven't you? Uh, can you tell us about those? Yeah, happy to. It's good to see everybody. Um, it's great to be here with such a distinguished group. But um, we do. We, you know, Mary International has over thirty brands, um, but in the luxury space, we we carry eight brands. Uh, we carry the Ritz Carlton, the Saint Regis, Ritz Carlton Reserve, uh, Bulgari uh, Edition Luxury Collection, uh, W Hotels, and JW Marriott. Um, and and I think as you probably know, we span sort of all ranges of luxury, from you know the Uber luxury on the Reserve and Bulgari side of things to sort of our life, luxury and lifestyle brands like the W Hotels. So quite a range of products, uh, over 400 luxury hotels and over 125 luxury hotels in the pipeline, either under construction or in development right now. So we're, we're quite bullish on luxury going forward. I know we're going to talk a lot about that today. That's fantastic. And, and of course, you're all over the world, aren't you? Right, right. And so we are. And so you're seeing, obviously, various levels of recovery and, and um you know, we all hope for that to, to pick up quite uh, quite rapidly, but uh, interesting exposure when you have that that sort of broad of a portfolio. Absolutely. Thank you very much for joining us. And Anna, welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. Can you tell us a little bit about Aman Resorts? Thanks, Peter, of course. Um, so Aman Resorts, for those that um, perhaps are not familiar with us, we are um, one of the world's preeminent hospitality brands. We operate... Um, 33 hotels across 20 countries or 20 destinations. So we, we're what you would call, um, I guess, discrete luxury. So it's a brand that you either know about and love and are perhaps what um, are coined Amman Junkies, or perhaps you might have heard of one of our two um, more iconic properties, such as Amangiri um, in the US in Utah, which is in the desert, or perhaps Amman Venice, or even Amman Puri, which is our flagship and where the brand started over 30 years ago. But ultimately, um, we operate uh, very small niche um, boutique properties and um, almost akin to, to being in the, the home of a dear friend. And we often say that our guests arrive as guests and leave as friends. So it's a, um, nice. yeah, as I said, a very discreet brand and, and one that a, a lot of our guests place a lot of trust and a, a lot of love in. So, um, Fantastic. Yeah. And you're coming to New York soon, aren't you, as, as a brand? That is correct, uh, Peter, indeed. Um, we will be opening AMA New York in the Crown Building, which is in Midtown, uh, later this year. So very excited to see that uh, come to fruition. Fantastic. Looking forward to that. So thank you all very much for telling us all about the companies that you represent. Um, what I thought we might do first is, is, is trying to explain to our audience what guests can expect when they arrive in, in one of your hotels and what the situation over service delivery is at the moment. Chris, why don't you start? Yeah, I'm happy to. Thanks, Peter. You know, it's we're, we're entering that phase of recovery, right? Where the, the guests are back on the road, the pent up demand is starting to be unleashed. And I think that the guests 
early on was maybe forgiving of some of the situations that the hotels had to deal with. Uh, much of it driven by local regulations, staffing, et cetera. It's a very different day, right? As we head into the summer, and I'll speak particularly just about the US right now as we're all in various stages of recovery, but you can expect to see full facilities, right? The amenities are open, the restaurants are open, the activities are open, and that's continuing to gain momentum as you see, you know, sort of surrounding areas and local activities and destinations open up more aggressively. So uh, if I'm a guest, I expect and, and should receive the full luxury experience, the full brand experience, um, everything that you would be and expect from, from any of our fine hotels. That's great. That's exciting. And you, you see that going out across the world as time goes on and as border restrictions change. Yeah, I, I think as, as, yeah, right. Some of its restrictions, much of it is dependent on vaccines. Um, and then certainly the capability of travel and, and labor. But obviously the world is in various stages of recovery. Yeah. But as that recovery moves through those phases, I would expect to see that uh, everywhere in the world. Okay. Right now, there will be bumps. There will be bumps along the way, right? Because we are doing something that we have never done. Uh, we are rebooting the industry after being dormant for a year. Yeah. And that's not, a, that's not an easy task, but it's being done quite well, particularly at, at the level of the hotels that you're talking about. Oh, that's terrific. Helen, your, your hotels in America may be slightly different, I guess, from your hotels in Europe. Uh, how is the opening being received here? So it is, it's true. Um, and a lot of what Chris said have great resonance. When we first started to see business come back in LA, although those hotels never closed in any way whatsoever, we interviewed a few of the guests to try and get a feel for it. And they were very much on the lines of, we trust you to do the right thing, but can you try and make the day feel as normal as possible? Um, you know, we've, we've come back to kind of see familiar faces and familiar routines. So follow COVID rules, but try and make the stay as normal as possible. Um, right. And we've adopted that throughout the other hotels. Obviously, in Europe, it's mainly food and beverage based at the moment. And again, we just have to follow local rules to know what we can open and, and when. Yeah, good. And, and for Amman, Anna, how are you coping with the service delivery? I, you know, I second everything that's been said there with uh, Helen and Chris. And I think there is a feeling that people do want to travel. They want to, you know, they're curious to travel again. They're hungry to travel again. And whilst they want to feel safe, they don't want to feel like they're in a, a too much of a sanitized or medical environment. So I think, you know, trust in a brand is really, really important. I think speaking to, to guests, as, as Helen said, also for us has been key really to, I think, especially on, on arrival to understand and meet with the guests and try and ascertain their level of confidence, I guess, at this moment in time. And then you can adapt perhaps how you, you deal with them or the level of service that they want. Maybe they don't want their, their room serviced every single day, for example. So um, I definitely trust, definitely speaking, um, you know, one-on-one -on -one with, with customers. But I really feel that there is a, a big drive now that people want to get out and resume their lives. That's great. Uh, Philip, are you seeing and hearing the same thing around the world? Yeah, uh, I, I totally agree with everything that has been said. I think what they can expect now is an arrival experience that maybe looks a little bit different, but it feels very familiar and similar than before the pandemic. Um, I think there will be a certain degree of health security measures that will be in place for quite a while to come. Right. 
Um, but the focus must be on reducing levels of anxiety with the guests and make them feel comfortable, right? Um, At the end, uh, like Chris said, uh, guests are not forgiving of any services that have been cut out and they are staying at a luxury hotel and they are still looking for extraordinary service and they are looking to be pampered and cared for after everything they've gone through, right? What about what about uh, Philip from from everybody you're talking to? What about the staff as well? Because that that's equally important, isn't it? That they well, feel- the, the staff. Uh, I think there is as many complications of keeping the staff safe as the guests, and by that I mean that some guests, of course, are overly relaxed and do not adhere to any safety. Uh, procedures and and, uh, measures that have been put in place, and thereby sometimes staff feels uncomfortable. So I think uh, the job of managers in hotels is to protect their staff and make sure that the guest knows that they're not only doing this for their own safety, but also for the safety of the employees. Yeah, that's a a great point. Thank you for that. Um, So how do you communicate to the guests? Because Guests want to know, and two of you have just already talked about communication, but uh, what is the best form of communication using social media? How are you doing it, Chris? Yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more. The the communication in advance with the guest is uh, probably the most important thing that we do in the booking process right now, right? So uh, what we try to do is make sure that, you know, particularly on our brand sites, on our hotel sites, the information is there. It's easy to get to. Um, it's easy to understand what's open, what the protocols are, what the requirements are, because we want, as Philip pointed out, we want we don't want that to be a distraction. We want them to build confidence and be comfortable, and then move to the stay experience that they're looking for, right? So, but that information has to be readily available. So that's available on the hotel websites um, when the guest is looking, shopping, you know, understanding what the experience is going to be like, and then certainly in the pre-arrival process, there's communication and dialogue that goes on. The standard information is available um, in, you know, sort of the regular pre-arrival communication, but there's often a lot of dialogue that happens from a guest, right? They may have special needs, special concerns. They may have family members with special conditions. And and to Philip's point, what is the staff doing? How is the staff going to address them? What is the service actually going to feel like? And so you'll find that the dialogue is just more engaging. Um, and, And I think that's important because you have a second wave of travelers as we think about them, right? First wave was the traveler that was ready to be adventurous. They were going to travel during COVID and they did. And they did it respectfully and they did it the right way. What you see now was a wave of travelers that have been, for the most part, staying at home and adhering to, you know, kind of protocols and local restrictions, but now they're ready to come out. They're ready to travel again but they're ones that haven't been out quite as much as the original sort of phase one of travelers, if you will. If you will. So they have a lot of questions, um, but I think in the luxury set, we're quickly overcoming that because I think, I don't know if Anna or Helen pointed it out, they don't want it to feel sterile. They just want it to feel safe. And then they want to get on to having a great experience. Yeah, yeah. And Helen, communication, you mentioned it at the very beginning. Uh, that, that's important, isn't it? In, in every aspect of everything we're doing. I think everyone would agree it's it's to, it's critical right now for all the reasons about this anxiety of travel. Um, we too have put everything in the end. We put it on the website, and we've you know sort of made that um, apparent to everyone that the safest point to learn the most up to date information is on the web. 
And I would agree that when it comes to making bookings, we're getting from travel agents and from the customer more requests that are coming in directly um, because there's a lot of questions that people have and a lot of reassurance um, that they're looking for um, to understand what, you know, they're paying a lot of money and they want to understand what they're going to have when they arrive. Yeah. Uh, and it's totally changing. Again, you could confirm everything on the website. You could confirm it during the booking process. But as Chris said, when it comes to the pre-arrival, you might be advising them that something that was previously closed is now open. Right. So it's a very dynamic market at the moment. Yeah. So flexibility in, uh, is really important on everybody. Thinking on your feet. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Anna, to, for guests coming from North America into any of your properties that are now open, um, and that, coming back into the States, they're going to have to take a test. Uh, and that's that's been worrying to some people. How are they going to be able to get the test? What happens about the test? Um, how are you addressing that? Well, I mean, a number of ways. And I, I think it also sort of part answers your, your previous question in the sense that, you know, people have decided to take a trip. This trip that they're taking is probably going to be a very special trip. It's probably been a delayed trip. It's probably to celebrate something that maybe they missed um, in the years gone by. Um, so for us, we've really done our, our research in terms of testing. We do offer it at a number of our resorts. A lot of our resorts are um, remote. We know that. Um, and if we didn't offer those tests, then customers would have to leave to go off site, um, taking time out of their holiday, taking them perhaps out of a bubble that they wanted to stay within. So we have taken it upon ourselves to offer testing where we can, obviously in line with the, the regulations um, close by. And in addition to that, we also have an internal tracker that we're running at the moment in, in terms of the vaccinations that our property teams have had. So I, I know, for example, that today, for you know, in um, Amanera, 90% of our team have had their first dose and that tomorrow the rest the, they will be getting their second dose. So we also know on property how far along we are with vaccination programmes, because that is a question that we are also being asked. That's a very good point. Chris, how, how, how are you dealing with that, with that same problem of people trying to come back into the United States? Yeah, I'd say it's, it's actually a very similar scenario, as Anna pointed out. Um, where we can, we offer testing at the hotel. I think the guest is expecting that, um, we can point them in the right direction to the right medical professionals. And so we try to make those alliances uh, where we can and where it's capable. So we have to give them the confidence. And so we're doing that where, where we can. Uh, I think you also raise an interesting point, Anna, around the staff that's getting vaccinated. And that would be an important part of, of what happens next. Um, it's going to be a dynamic debate for a while, right? But, but we do the same thing. We track uh, staffing that uh, you know, has gone through the vaccination process. Um, and we're monitoring that situation very closely because that's a, that's a very dynamic and fluid situation as well. But we're trying to make sure those guests feel comfortable leaving the country and coming back in. And we're also trying to make sure guests feel comfortable and our staff feel comfortable throughout this entire process. Great. And I guess you're working with your travel advisor partners uh, to get this information out as, as well. That's right. It's probably one of the most important parts of the communication because a lot of the the regular dynamic, the you know personal side of the trip takes place with that that travel advisor. Yeah, uh, Helen, are you finding the same thing uh, in Europe? Well, we've had a lot of domestic travel in Europe. Um, to be totally honest, we haven't seen uh, the growth from America. The lovely bit is that in the last few weeks, last two three weeks, we've seen 
much more interest in requests from America for Italy and for France. So I think the momentum is there. I think Anna and a couple of others have talked about, you know, the, the desire to travel, the pent up demand, the holiday they didn't have. So I think it's coming. Um, and again, we'll look after them when they're in-house and we'll look after them when they need to do whatever test it is to get home. Um, it, it's pretty much a routine in, in hotels now. And I think that's probably worldwide. So travelers should feel pretty reassured that we will look after them. That's great. Uh, and Philip, uh, getting to the destination, the airlines have been working really well, haven't they, to, to make sure that all the protocols are inv involved are, uh, are communicated. Have you got any yeah, comments on that? Yeah, Peter, we're all in the same boat, right? Where the hospitality and travel industry and uh, nobody is exempt and everybody has to do their bit to get the world traveling again, right? Yeah. Airlines have done a great job. Uh, we have started together with ShareCare, a health security verified badge. We already have a thousand hotels that are currently uh, have earned their badge. We have 400 restaurants that have earned it. We are now going into cruise ships. We're going into sports arenas. So all, that's, all that is working. Uh, what I want to come back to quickly, Peter, was the expectations of the guests. Yeah. And I think what is also important, when a guest arrives in a hotel, he wants to feel that he's made a smart choice there, right? And I think the simple way of saying it, that he expects that the hotel keeps their promises in terms of the communication that he has arrived pre-arrival, and like Chris and Anna quite rightly pointed out, the most important communication is regarding health and safety for the guests, but also for the staff, right? And I think the hotel just needs to uh, keep that promise. And I think that is all a part of creating confidence again. Yeah. Um, as as, um, as the, the world opens up, local restrictions keep changing. Um, is it up to the hotels themselves to communicate directly with their client bases or does that come through your corporate offices and, and you're distributing? How, how is that all working? Oh, I mean, good question. I think it's, it's a mixture. Um, if we've got a guest that has already booked, um, then it will be handed over to um, most likely the hotel team. So they would have already been in contact at the early stages of their reservation. So we would try and keep um, that sort of communication steady and constant. But everything does change with travel at the moment. We know that um, flights can change at the last minute, of course, as, as load factors vary. Rule, local rules and regulations can also change. So, you know, as I, I think Helen said, we for us, it's about reassurance. It's about trust. You know, I always say we feel very, very privileged when people choose to spend their time with us. You know, more money can be made, but I think time is the most valuable commodity yes. at the moment, especially yeah. in this today, you know, today's world. So we take great pride in, in the fact that guests choose to spend their time with us and we will make sure and do our utmost that we exceed their expectations. And that is difficult in today's world. Um, and yes, guests can be ever more um, demanding because everything's being thrown at them, but um, we're really, really trying to, to over-exceed, yeah. Good. Um, uh, Philip, you've done a lot of work in communication with, with, with the public um, uh, about through Forbes about the pandemic. Uh, can you give us some examples of that? Well, 
you know, we realized early on, Peter, that 2020 would be a complete write-off, right? And revenues would be devastated. So we simply focused on uh, supporting, increasing our support to the industry and building on that loyalty that we've created over the years, right? So we started off with Hospitality Strong, which was a training series, a webinar series of training, complimentary, of course, and that was particularly geared towards uniting the collective community, providing those that were furloughed with resources to keep them engaged, right? Uh, hundreds of thousands of views there uh, all over the world. So that was very successful. We did, uh, for global partners, we did a toolkit of resources. That they were short video clips that they could use for onboarding uh, or in orientation for their staff as well as exercises to teach the standards. And we are continuing that now and we're creating our YouTube library. So stay tuned for that. Uh, best practices we did, which were particularly focused on guest service and how to manage your changes without losing sight of the guest experience, right? Uh, and then of course, the commitment has worked, the commitment to support the industry. As of today, I'm happy to say that we have 25 more hotel partners than we had in 2019. Mm, great. So reassurance is important for everybody and, and, that, and that's a good conduit for that. Let's look to the future. We've talked about what's happening now, but I'm hearing from travel advisors in particular that that this uh, festive season is going to be really busy for all the hotels and they're getting very, really booked up already. And, and we're hearing also that for next year, business is beginning to look pretty good for some people and, and people are, are beginning to plan ahead. Chris, uh, what's your feeling about uh, 2022 and, and the luxury hospitality industry? Uh, you, you, you have opened uh, the, uh, the, the Oracle's box, right? So how do we predict this? Um, <laughs> I have sort of a couple of points of view on that. Um, first of all, I, I would book your holiday travel as soon as you can. Yeah. Uh, and if you want to go skiing next year, I would book that as soon as you can. Um, all of our indications are that holiday travel, where it's permissible and where the restrictions have been lifted and where you can get flights, is going to be as good, if not better, than 2019. And we're seeing that in terms of the way the business is, is shaping up. Uh, same thing for certain holidays as you get into the first quarter, right? So I think that that season and everybody's expecting that by then there will be much, much greater uh, flexibility in travel and the ability to move about. Uh, and by then we will have also probably figured out uh, and smoothed out the process with airlines and transportation and uh, whatnot. So that's one. Uh, I also think that what you are about to see, and it is it is opening now, if you've been in New York City lately, you're starting to see the vibrancy come back to places like New York City. And while the early demand was for resorts and beaches and places that you could spread out, um, and then the sort of the second round of demand is for, you know, unique destinations or sort of second tier markets, maybe in Austin or in Nashville or something like that. People are ready to go back to museums. They're ready for the arts. They're ready for entertainment. They're ready for the restaurant and dining. And I think you see the, the, the rapid opening of, of New York City. That's going to move quite quickly. Um, we're seeing people move back into New York City, which is good for business. It's good for that demand. So I think over the next year, you're going to see this rebalancing of demand, particularly on the leisure side. As people move back to cities like Chicago and San Francisco and New York, that demand is going to be strong. Where I think we will lag a little bit in, and what is unclear is, when will business travel come back to and to what levels, right? How will that systemically change? Um, 
but we will never lose the need, I think, for personal interaction, right? For personal touch. The next time, I, I hope at some point in the future, we're all sitting in a room together doing this because you just miss the dynamic of having a coffee before or after. There's so much that happens with that. And then, of course, the last phase, uh, I believe, uh, is, the, is the international travel, right? That's just a level of comfort that has to be built. There's probably vaccine passports. There are protocols. There's you know, quarantine situations that will all evolve rapidly because we're all ready for it. The customer wants it. The um, certainly the economies need it. But I think that will be, you know, that may take anywhere from six months to 18 months to evolve. And I wish I knew the answer, but yeah. but I, I'm very bullish on what's going to happen over the next 12 to 18 months on the recovery and travel. That's great. Well, and what's your policy on uh, cancellations and refunds? I mean, the client wants to feel secure, don't they? The consumer wants to feel more secure than ever. Uh, and things do change. Uh, are you changing your policies there? Yeah, we're constantly looking at what the policies look like, right? Um, certainly, they're more flexible where the environment needs us to be more flexible, right? Um, they are more stricter in places where the demand is is really starting to grow, right? So in the mountain resorts, in the in the beaches, um, in those types of destinations, you you will see uh, you know a more normal uh, sort of cancellation policy. Uh, but in areas that are starting to emerge, we know that that customer needs flexibility. So we we are more flexible with those policies in those types of markets. Yeah, that's great. Anna, um, working with the, your travel advisor partners, what are you seeing for next year? Um, I very much echo actually what um, Chris has said. Definitely Christmas or festive for us. We are definitely seeing um, demand through our agents, operators, and also our direct bookings online. We are definitely seeing a spike. Um, Asia, I think, is slightly lagging behind at the moment. There's a lot more restrictions um, out that way. So obviously, we really hope to see that um, loosen up in time. We know that there's demand to go to some of those tropical um, destinations for festive. Yeah. And I think next year, again, there's a, a lot of from bookings early this year that people couldn't take, we're definitely seeing those now moving into early 2022. But I, I think what what we're definitely feeling what I'm definitely feeling myself as a consumer are those days that we could be sort of quite whimsical and last minute. We've all got to be much more structured at the moment um, and decide what we want to do in advance um, because it's not as easy as it used to be until we, you know, we're, we're further down the line. But uh, right. pent up demand for sure um, for festive um, is, is definitely something we're seeing. And I guess working with your travel advisor partners, that they're helping navigate for your clients clients uh, around all these restrictions very much so and you know they're on top of the restrictions we too are on, on top of those um, they do change frequently as I mentioned but we've got um, teams on the ground that are updating us um, as updates happen so we are we are on top of them and you know as a small company we we pick up the phone you know one-on-one -on -one with our guests to explain what has changed um, and to see how we can help move things forward and, and just keep them updated. So, Fantastic. Yeah. Helen, I, I'm hearing people do make short-term bookings um, uh, and make spur-of-the-moment bookings. Are you seeing that or, or are you seeing people plan further out? Uh, a little bit of both, and I think it's been covered in the in um, Chris and Anna as well. So in the local market, the likes of Cowarth Park, which is in the countryside, and it's got 240 acres of land, and people feel very comfortable there, you have to book a long way out um, because the demand is crazy from the domestic market. 
The same happens in America for the two LA properties. The local market is really um, buoyant there. That for the international travel, we're going to have to wait, just like Chris was saying. The good news, if you want to have a little sort of um, bold beginning to flower, is that we're getting demand from some of our travel advisors who want to travel as soon as possible. I think to give um, confidence to their client base to say, I've done it, it's okay, it's manageable. Um, and again, we are starting to get some um, bookings for people who want to come maybe to Paris for the springtime. Yeah. Those, those traditional moments, I think, will fill, and it will be the quieter moments that will be a little bit slower. And again, as Chris said, I think we're all going to have to learn what the new business travel looks like in the future. But, you know, the, I miss Cowdery refers to it as a coiled spring. I think there is just a demand to get going and to do it. I think people want to celebrate travel again. Uh, yeah. I, it's going to be an exciting time. Yeah. So, so you're quite bullish in putting your budgets together for next year? Oh, my gosh. Uh, we keep bouncing that one around. It's <laughs> <laughs> sort of like a hot potato. Um, no, I don't know. Gosh, it's, it's, it's tough. It's yeah. going to be very tough to, to predict. Yeah. But I yeah. think we're all in the same boat. It's, you know, yeah. for once, everyone's facing the same problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Philip, uh, we're, we're seeing some of the uh, countries in, in the European market open up. We're, we're seeing, obviously, the Caribbean and Mexico opening up. Lots of places still impossible to get to uh, and uh, for, for different reasons. But what's your view of next year? Well, listen, everybody made some excellent points, right? What we are seeing, leisure travel will continue to ramp up quickly, make a very strong recovery. Uh, I think especially in experiential travel resorts, daily rates will continue to climb. They're already incredibly high. Uh, but let's not forget that the travelers will expect and demand extraordinary service and experiences, right? Um, I think high touch in the luxury sector is definitely winning over high tech. Mm. Uh, luxury will always be about choices. So we will even service will have to be even more flexible and anticipatory than it was before. Uh, like we always say in Forbes, if we make our guests think or work harder, luxury disappears. I think uh, that mice and business travel will make a recovery late in 22 because people I talk to are absolutely craving the human connection, right? Uh, people can't wait to get on a plane and can't wait to see each other again, go to exhibitions, go to shows, etc. So I think that will happen. I think there will be more responsible travel. People will care more about their wellness, self-improvement, caring for the planet. How does the stay at the hotel impact the local community, giving back, etc.? And then I think travelers will be also more curious and adventurous after what we've been through and for the period that we sat at home. And I think they will want to explore some new and off the beaten track destinations. That's what I'm seeing, Peter. That's great. Chris, uh, sustainability is something we're hearing a lot more about. And it didn't stop, of course, during the last year and a half. Um, sustainability has continued to be really important to everybody. What, what measures are, are you looking at in, in for the next year? Yeah, you know, sustainability, uh, Peter, I, I think was a conversation that was building momentum pre-COVID, yeah. right? And the pandemic was a tipping point for many ideas that had been building for years, right? Uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, and so sustainability, I think, comes in, in several forms, right? There's sustainability as it relates to travel, 
right? So how do we get there and, and how does that happen? How do we how do we talk about our carbon footprint? There's sustainability when it comes to our materials and our build and and you know just the production of what we do. There's sustainability in terms of our business practices, right? How do we consume and how do we recycle and how do we make sure that we are protective of the environment? Um, Marriott in general has been long focused on this and in luxury, um, we've obviously known that this is a, a critical element for the luxury traveler, right? I think previously it was more of a conversation. Uh, today they're looking for more proof points. Um, I think as we all know, sustainability and travel is also very difficult, right? So I think the easiest place to focus and the best place to focus right now because of this evolving situation um, is really in our business practices. Right, making sure that we are sustainable in our sourcing, we are sustainable in uh, sort of our waste management, we're sustainable in our materials, um, you know, we're, we're sustainable in our use of energy and electricity. And so we focus on all of those areas, uh, making sure that we can create one as efficient environment as possible, but it does one that doesn't change the guest experience, right? The guest isn't expecting us to tell them all about our sustainability efforts, they're just expecting us to be sustainable and have trust and faith that that we are participating in, in what's going to be good for us long-term, right? They should not be burdened by it, but they should have confidence that they're participating with a partner and a brand that, that also believes how important this is. So I will tell you, it's an evolving conversation and it's something that our industry will have to tackle over the next 10 years, right? It's not a one or two year discussion. And right now it's obviously focused on sort of business practices and making sure that we're paying attention to energy, purchasing, business processes, recycling, waste management, those sort of things. Fantastic. Helen, you, you have some landmark properties around uh, in, in, in Europe and in, in North America. Are you going down the sustainability route with those hotels? I think, yes, I was just going to say, um, again, Chris has led the conversation, but hit on all of the salient points. Um, when we first surveyed guests, and I'm going back maybe 10 years, the comment that I got was, don't guilt me out. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm very, very careful in my um, home environment, but I've come to you for a special occasion and I want to really, really enjoy it. So don't make me feel bad. And I think what we've learned over those years is you can um, introduce sustainability, but always with that sort of um, caveat that you don't want to change the guest experience. And there's a lot you can do behind the scenes um, that they might not even notice that you're doing in that, um, that quest. So yes, it is a focus. I don't think it's an option anymore for anyone um, and it will continue to grow. Fantastic. And Anna, your locations probably help you in terms of sustainability in many ways. Um, how are you tackling it? Um, I think it's always something that we've done as a brand. Um, I think it's it's been in our DNA. Um, Aman has always harmoniously connected with the the culture and environment that it's in. So, um, and in the the remote locations that we're in, if we didn't protect the environment, then the location wouldn't be such a draw. Um, but I think, as Chris said, and also Helen, that it now has to be part of that conversation. So it's something we had always done, but we've kept you know, to ourselves or um, very much the on-property experience. But now we are working our way through the um, UN Sustainable Goals. Um, and actually, we've recently relaunched our website. In fact, we've got a, a brand new fully bespoke website, which we launched during COVID, um, during that downtime. So we're working on some pages that we are fleshing out to talk 
more about what we're doing um, and actually some of the activities that the guests can, themselves can get involved in or might see when they're, they're on property. But of course, there's a lot that goes on um, behind the scenes. Um, but for us, a lot of it is also about the culture and celebrating that culture and protecting the culture. And I think that's where the guest comes into to that side of yeah. things. So, you know, ongoing for us as it is for everyone, but do want to make much more of a conversation about it because we are being asked. Fantastic. So you all seem pretty strong about next year, about the end of this year, yeah. about next year. You all say, by the sound of it, book now as soon as you can, uh, because it's time to. And I'm delighted to hear you're welcoming travel advisors back into your properties, because that means they're seeing and believing and be able to communicate with their guests about everything that's happening. So what a fantastic panel. Thank you so much for joining us. We, I've learned so much today. Um, we'll see you, I hope, again in person next time. Perfect. But for now, <laughs> to our audience, I hope very much indeed you've enjoyed this. I'd like uh, to remind you that there is an exhibition as well. And if you'd like to go to the exhibition, I know everybody there we would love to see you. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you soon. Happy traveling. Thank you.